Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 250 of the Peristyle Podcast, a landmark episode, I guess, or a milestone episode, I guess you would say. Uh, we got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We've got a lot of questions to get to on the USC Trojan football team. Uh, if you have questions or comments, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us 206-888-6755 is the number. Leave us a brief voicemail, and we'll play it on the air, or you can go to peristylepodcast.com and leave us a, a message there as well. We have Coach Harvey Hyde up in the first segment. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? Everything is fine. First thing I want to do is... And I'm uh, looking forward to another of your uh, segments with me, Ryan. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and uh, 250 of them now, Coach. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. My goodness. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice little milestone there, so it's pretty nice. We, and maybe for, I think for our 200th, we had Lane Kiffin on the show, and we went, we did like a little live thing and stuff, but I don't know. People asked about the 251. We, we're not really doing anything that today, but we'll uh, probably for 300, we'll do something else special. Well, if you want to, Ryan, we'll do anything special for you. I tell you, uh, we did that one. I remember we all got together down there at the, uh, I forget what restaurant that was, down at SC, and we had a great time. Yeah, McKay's. That was McKay's restaurant. That was a fun time. We actually had someone uh, email in about that and doing that. So, um, yeah, we're not doing it for 250 but for 300 we'll make sure we do something uh, special. But before we get into everything, I just want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com, 1-800-888. 7287 if you need to give them a call for tickets to a concert you want to go to any kind of sporting event lakers games they're not playing so well clippers are playing really well you can go check them out too if you want to go even to the theater stuff like that uh go to sctickets.com and and they'll help you out and uh coach so i'm the, the household i'm in right now my wife is a big tennessee fan and she loves having t martin the former tennessee volunteers quarterback out here and i was just talking to her she showed me a video that some volunteer fans made he's actually reportedly in knoxville right now interviewing uh with butch jones the new head coach there he came over from cincinnati where he took over for uh brian kelly when he left cincinnati to go to notre dame but anyway so they're they're trying to bring in t martin there who's been a you know an ace recruiter helped Marquis Lee win the Bolitnikoff Award. And I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that, uh, on T. Martin, his importance to the USC program. Well, I'll tell you, I don't blame Tennessee at all. That'd be one of the first uh, assistant coaches I would go after. You want to bring a big-name uh, player and a person that's associated with the University of Tennessee back to his alma mater. And if I was Jones, that, that's what I'd go after. He's uh, certainly proved himself as far as a recruiter. He's very personable. He's going to be a head coach someday, somewhere soon, and I would want him on my staff. Uh, what, is he willing to move to Tennessee from USC, where he has such a great uh, receiving core? I don't know. Uh, is it a good move for him professionally? I don't know. I think he has to evaluate. It's always, you know, you get emotional when you have that opportunity, as he said in an article that I, I read, that to go home it's like going home well yes it's like going home but is it the best is it in your best interest as far as the way to become a head football coach which is goal has to be he's never come out and said that to me at least and or i haven't heard him say that but when you're assistant football coach uh, you always want to dream uh, of being a head football coach sometime in your life and he certainly has the makings of being one so i think you have to entertain the idea to see exactly what they're willing to do, and of course, money goes a lot farther in Tennessee as far as they're, they'll probably offer him more money than what USC is paying him because they you know, want to bring him in, and he's going to be something that's going to pass a message on to Ramsey and everybody else who he's been recruiting and for the SC program that, hey, uh, this bus place bet must be better or I wouldn't be leaving there. At least that's the point I would do. Now, will he be, if he goes to Tennessee, one that respects his recruiting and what he's been paid for 
uh, as far as from the SC program to not touch or recruit any players uh, that he has committed verbally to or helped commit verbally to USC? I don't know. I think that's part of uh, what you have to decide if he decides to take that job. And you don't know if players will say, hey, uh, I was going to USC because I like T. Martin and, and I want to go where he's going. So, you know, then, then what do you say? You really can't fight that. But I, I look at that, and I, I don't know if it isn't just a lateral move for him, and I don't know if that is a good move for him. First of all, he's got a great group of receivers. He's always going to have a lot of people out looking at his receivers. Uh, they're having a good year in recruiting additional receivers. Uh, at Tennessee, it's going to be difficult to recruit to the University of Tennessee immediately. I think Jones has done a great job. But Tennessee's program is down. Tennessee's program is down, and a lot of other people's programs are really up. So I don't know if it's going to be an easy game to bring, easy time to bring that program back to the levels of what they expect at the University of Tennessee under Fuller and these other coaches, Johnny Majors, and these other legends who have coached there. So I would probably think that he's got to evaluate evaluate all that and say, what's best for me? I think that maybe out of it. He will probably get an extension on his contract at USC if they want to keep him. I would say, hey, if you stay here, we'll extend your contract. If he has one-year, two-year contract, I don't know what he has, but he can certainly utilize that opportunity to say, I want a pay raise or I need uh, two years as far as here at SC because I would have another three years down there. They're just starting a program. I've got longevity at Tennessee. Maybe I don't have longevity at USC. So I think he's in a good position with his agent or himself, whoever does his negotiating to, for him. Will he go? I don't know. This is a decision he has to make. Is it good for USC? No, it's not good for USC if he leaves because he's got a great image. He's coached these kids. They like him. He's a great recruiter. Can you find somebody right now? Because he would probably leave tomorrow. He would leave even before the bowl game. I'm sure of that because when you go to a new school – your coach wants you now. So uh, I don't think that's good for the SC program. So uh, I'm anxious to find out exactly what's going to happen, and I really do think that Lane Kiffin's got to put a, a time frame on this where you say, okay, and I'm sure Jones has got a time frame that I need to know by Friday or I need to know by Thursday or whatever so that plans can be made as far as for coaching in the bowl game and also a replacement for T if he leaves. If I'm going to guess right now, I would say he stays. That's my guess. Um, that, you know, that's been my guess, too. And uh, I know the Tennessee fans are really hyped up for it. It's, it seems like the timing isn't quite right. But, you know, there's always that, uh, you know, people would like to go home at, at different points. I mean, but if you're the wide receiver coach and you get the chance to coach the best wide receiver in the country who has a good chance of winning the Heisman, I mean, that's something that's a, that's a draw. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens there. But I agree. He's a great recruiter. Of the three you know, new coaches that came in, I mean, you could argue he did the best. His, you know, the, the linebackers and the and the secondary, you know, didn't really play as well as, as some people thought. And you, know, you, you, don't, you can't blame it all on the assistant coach. And you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other factors. But, you know, the wide receivers, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee, you know, still performed at a high level. And having Lee win the Bolitnikoff, uh, the nation's best receiver, and finish fourth in the Heisman, it's hard to knock kind of what T. Martin's doing, especially what he's doing, you know, off the field and all the recruiting stuff. That is one of the coaches I would not want to lose. I'm just saying there's others, and I'm not going to get into that, but that is one of the coaches I would not want to lose. I think Hatcher's his responsibility, along with Ramsey and others down there that they're in on, and I just would not want to lose T. Martin at this time on my staff. No, I agree with you. Well, we'll see. Well, stay tuned to uscfootball.com. We'll be on it. The VolQuest guys over at uh, they're the Tennessee rival site. Uh, obviously, they're real close to the situation because they're in Knoxville. So we'll be posting information from all of that on uscfootball.com after the podcast. Unless something happens while we're on the podcast, we'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> um, let's get to some questions, Coach. Uh, this is from David in the OC. He said, I was just browsing the team roster for Stanford, and I noticed how big their players are at all positions compared to USC. Maybe this is why USC is getting pushed around on both offense and the defensive line. USC has many players under six feet. Stanford only has a few. Many are over six foot three. Same goes for Alabama. I think USC wants to 
if USC wants to compete, they need to get bigger and more physical. I think Lane has con- concentrated on speed too much and lost a, what what is important when it comes to winning football games. This is not a track meet. Uh, what do you think about what David said here? Well, you want a combination of both, but uh, you've heard me talk about being physical. I talk about that all the time. You've got to be physical to play this game of football, and you've got to be big and strong. And right now when you look at the Stanford defense and offensive line in Alabama, as, as you just mentioned, and others, uh, yes, they're very physical. They've got guns on them. They're big, they're strong, and they have a different look to them. You don't see any on at least the Stanford team, anybody with a, a pot belly or anybody that uh, isn't serious looking, and they're all clones, if you want me to tell you the best way to explain it. Uh, the tight ends, the receivers, the offensive line, the defensive line, the linebackers, they're all built with guns, and uh, they're big, good-looking kids. I mean, they have been, I don't know what they're doing in the weight room or how they're developing them and so on, but they have been developed to where they pass the eye test, and they also play like the eye test. I mean, they are really a physical bunch of guys that fit the philosophy of their offense and defense, where their philosophy is we're going to beat you at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. We're going to ball control the game. We're going to run the football, play action, pass off the football, and our quarterback's got to have some mobility to get out of a rush and also be able to attack your corners and be able to run on bootlegs and different types of play action pass options and they do that and they do that well and they have they have always had at least over the last couple of years big targets as far as their receivers as far as tight ends which they want mismatches and they utilize that the entire time and they find a running back in Taylor who can really find the hole and follow the guard and do what's necessary to get the yards and they're not afraid to pound it out just like Alabama does uh, when they were losing to Georgia in that last drive when they were losing, I think about by 11 points, the last 21 plays of the game, they ran 17 runs. So that's how to sort of demonstrate where they thought where it was. Now Georgia came back. It was a great football game. But uh, I'm just telling you that's where it is. It's in the offensive and defensive lines, in the physical part of the game. So, uh, yeah, I think you have to have a combination of both. And you have to have a philosophy, first of all, of what you think you need to do with what you're running offensively and defensively and build your players into that mentality. And that, and I, 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 and that's something that I'm not going to get into right now, but I think that's what you have to have, a philosophy of what you need to run your offense and defense and then build your players into that type of clone. All right, makes sense, Coach. Thanks for that one, David. Um, let's move on to Sean in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. You're neck of the woods, Coach. We're, uh, when's the last time you're out there in Vegas? Well, a couple weeks ago, and I'm going again next Monday, so we won't have my segment. I'll be on secret assignment in Vegas. Oh, okay. Well, you know, have some fun out there. I'm planning my Vegas trip for uh, the Super Bowl, so we're getting that together right before signing day, actually. So we, we always go out there for the That's Super Bowl. That's right, right before signing week. I wow. Crazy. That's not that far away, Ryan. I know. It's uh, it's coming up. Which, yeah, it's, it's going to be a crazy finish here to the – the season for football season with the bowl games and all the recruiting stuff. And then I'll be in San Antonio for the army all American bowl. And then obviously signing day is absolutely crazy. So that'll, <laughs> it'll be a lot of crazy next couple of months here. Right. Certainly. Will. But remember they have the all-star high school game down at home Depot too, on January the 4th. You're right. So they're yeah. going to have two the Marine bowl. So they got a couple of these, uh, one right down here too. Yeah, it should be good. Well, we'll we're going to have people covering all three games. There's one in Orlando, one in San Antonio, one in Southern California. So we'll have people there covering all the USC commits and prospects that will be there. Well, let's, let's go to Sean's question, though, from, from Vegas. He said, it was good to see that Kiffin protected Coach Orgeron by promoting him from defensive coordinator to assistant head coach in preparation for hiring a new defensive coordinator. Coach O is the emotional leader. On the coaching staff, he has had head coaching experience and has run sidelines before. My question is, do you think it's possible that Kiffin could leverage Coach O's experience and strengths and allow him to run the sidelines during the game? That move would allow Kiffin to move up to the press box, call the plays, and maintain his offensive focus while having better relationships, I'm sorry, better leadership and team focus from the coaching staff on the sidelines. What do you think, Coach? Well, you know, I think you can do that. I'll tell you, you got to do what you got to do to win. And if that would improve uh, 
the strength of the USC football program, I definitely would do that. I've coached games from the press box. I've coached seasons from the press box. As long as you have capable assistance on the sideline doing what you need to do and relate to your players, uh, what changes you need, or you can talk on the phones to any player you want as far as on the offensive side of the football, if that's what you're calling, by the headsets. Uh, yes, that can be done. And I and I really believe in what uh, Sean is saying here. I believe that Orgeron is the type of guy that has the philosophy and the image of what USC football is about. And not that Lane Kiffin doesn't, but you you've got to be able to be in control of your bench. You've got to be able to be in control of the game. The officials got to know that you're going to be in their ear. If they don't, uh, if they're not on their toes, your players got to know that hey, when you come off the field, I'm here waiting for you. So you better come off with a a good play. But I'm waiting for you. And uh, I think he's got to be able to make sure people are in the game and, and this and that. And if he wants to continue calling plays, which, of course, is his option, then he's got to do what's the best for the, the team as far as the overall picture of performance and being successful. But I'm not suggesting that he does this. I'm just answering Sean's question. Absolutely, this is something that he could do. And you can't worry about your presence on the field or what people think's going on or what you think that what people are thinking. You've got to do and overcome uh, whatever the uh, things that are out there that to be, to be uh, getting the W's, not records, not stats. Uh, you've got to do what it takes to be an offensive coordinator if that's what you want to be. And you've got to be in the best position to see the game and the best position to see the game and not get lose track of down distance and everything that you have to do is from the press box. But again, a lot of head coaches don't want to lose control of the team on the field, and they don't go to that. And a lot of head coaches call the game from the field. You see it all the time. Uh, but there's a knack to it, and there's a feel of keeping the offense simple and letting your players uh, uh, know what your feeling is as far as knowing down distance situation, time of the game, don't go out of bounds, how many yards we need on this play, all of this type of stuff that relates to success. And uh, this is not just in a two-minute drill. This is the entire game during a drive or whatever. So uh, uh, nice question, Sean. Will it ever happen? I don't think that would happen, but it certainly is some thought of something that could happen. Yeah, we're really curious to see what does happen because there's there's going to be some changes, you know. But we don't we're not exactly sure what is it going to look a lot like last year. Or is it going to be very different? Um, you know, will that play sheet still be laminated and in front of Lane Kiffin's face? We'll see. We'll see all that. Uh, Coach, this is a question for me. I actually uh, went up to uh, Ventura Island View Enterprises uh, is a is a shooting range up in Ventura, and it's owned by former USC offensive tackle uh, Jacob Rogers. And uh, I've been up there a couple of times. Really cool dude. He, you know, he played for a little while in the NFL. I wrote a story on him, I don't know, several months ago. We put it up on uscfootball.com, kind of where he is now. Him and his dad have this business. And cool dude. He's really, you know, real fun. And uh, he, you know, takes care of you out there. So if you do have any uh, firearms needs and you're up in that area, definitely go check him out. Uh, but I was asking him about, like, kind of the offense, what it was like with Norm Chow. Because I think one of the compliments that people always pay Norm Chow during that time at USC was he made the offense simple, but he made it look complicated. And, and Jacob was talking about, they did a lot of the same plays, but they would use different guys in motion and, and switch, you know, a tight end from one side to the other to make it look completely different and make it, make the defense adjust to something they were doing. And they actually were still running the same play. I mean, do, do you agree with that? And, and are you seeing much of that now? I'm just curious to see from your experience as an offensive caller, if, if that philosophy, if that's what Norm Chow used to like to do, and if you see any of that kind of currently with this USC offense. Well, we did that all the time. That's that's the part of it, you know, and that's what Oregon does, and that's what all these teams do. They don't run a lot of different plays. They just run the plays very well, and they make you defend it different ways, and you, you know the offense as an offensive coordinator, and you look to see how people are defending you, and uh, by running it quickly and uh, and going to the line of scrimmage, you know, really don't have a lot of time to adjust to these different formations, and it's more to prepare for. But the plays are simple, and you know, if you do this, if they're doing that, I'm going to do this, and, and it's almost like playing chess because people don't change different types of 
of defense against different types of looks a lot. And, and also, you can't have formation tendencies, and you can't just line up in a formation and people say, oh, they're going to run this or they're going to run that. you got to line up in a formation, and, and as a defensive coach, they're going to say, oh, they can run 15 different things out of this. So you really got to play it honest. But when you start to have formation tendencies, then it really is a problem when you have one remaining back or two remaining backs, and you're in an eye, well, out of the eye, they only do this or that, and out of no remaining backs, they do this or that, or when they're in a slot with the tight end in, they do this or that. So, you know, when you when you start to have a team down, you cut down the number of plays that you have to defense when they don't do certain plays in certain formations or they don't run to the outside and they don't pressure our corners. So why why worry about the outside part of the game? Yeah, they might want to reverse once in a while, but, hey, they're not going to beat us doing that the entire game. So... Yes, you defense and offense on exactly what they tell you they want to do and accomplish. And if you keep it simple and you just make them guess and you run the same plays from different formations, then what can they do? They know that you're going to run the same plays and you're going to take advantage if you don't cover everything properly. So and, you be able, and you're able to balance out, too, what they can do defensively, and it's a much more easier for you. Yeah, keep it simple. When you have great athletes, keep it simple. Don't confuse your athletes and let them play. That's why you recruited them, and that's why they're there. All right, and uh, we'll let you go here with one last uh, question. This one is from Melvin, and it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people talk about this, but he said, looking back at the end of last season uh, from spring and fall practice, do you think that USC underachieved, or do you think that they – Excuse me. Uh, excuse me. D- did you think that they that did never have the talent to be ranked a number one team? Well, you know that's second guessing, but I can certainly give you my opinion. I think that that when you're ever expected to win, you got to work harder than you've ever worked before. And uh, I think that, and I think I've talked about this before, but if I haven't, I or if I've said this, I apologize for repeating myself. But when Matt Barkley and T.J. McDonald said they were returning, immediately the whole philosophy at USC and the nation changed. They became the preseason number one team in the nation immediately. Matt Barkley became the preseason Heisman Trophy winner. All of these things came upon USC, and can they handle this pressure and did they know how to live up to what was expected of them? And I'm not quite sure that they approached it. This is my opinion. In a way, we're saying, okay, someone thinks this much of us, or a lot of people do, then we've got to work extra hard. Not that they didn't work, but we've got to have a philosophy of being tough, being physical, and knowing we're not going to have a lot of easy games. Our games are going to be very difficult because our conference is better. There's been a lot of changes. They're all chasing us. We finished strong. We better start the season the way we finished. And I didn't see that actually happen in the spring. Now, a lot of people might disagree with me, but they might because they might say, "Oh, we couldn't get Matt Barkley hurt. Oh, we didn't. We couldn't take a chance on this." Now, I think that when you have a person back like this, you utilize him to be your leader. And you try to make him a better football player. You don't keep him the same football player. Or you don't practice him or you don't scrimmage him. And Because I think he regressed in the spring. By not practicing and by not scrimmaging and by not being staying acquainted with his timing and the receivers and, and all of that, certainly they wanted to bring Whittick along and there are other quarterbacks, but not at the expense of when you're ranked number one in the country and you've got to become a better football team. Now, Robert Woods, they held him out, and he didn't need to prove anything. He was beat up at the end of the season. He was beat up. He didn't need to prove anything. Uh, But all the other receivers and all the timing and the running backs and the offensive line and all of those people needed to hear his voice in the huddle every single Saturday, every single practice, and that they weren't giving somebody a rest that someone is better than we are. And I think that's something that I wouldn't have done I think that I would have made him be the focus of, hey, leading the football team. He's been a starter for four years. I'd have kept it simple. I'd have built a lot of confidence around him as far as in play calling and formations and 
and giving him the option to audibleize a lot more by just calling a, a formation and letting him run. A, if it's a running down, run the football. If it's a passing down, let him pass the football. Let him look the entire field over, not being told what receiver to throw the ball to if he was, and taking advantage of all the great skilled people that are surrounded him and build confidence in him himself. I don't know if that happened. In the spring game, if you go back to the spring game, I don't know how many people uh, that are listening saw the spring game. I I worked on the spring game with Pete Arbogast and did the color. Matt Barkley's timing was off. He threw interceptions. The team looked horrible on offense. They weren't going to scrimmage. They quit scrimmaging, but they felt they were going to lose somebody. Hey, you don't want to lose anybody. And, you know, the number thing, I don't buy into that number thing, Okay. Uh, I really don't. I, I mean, you've got players. You've got to become a better football team during the spring. I believe that. From the end of the season to the end of spring, you've got to become a better football team because there's a longer period of time for you to become a better football team than fall camp. Bigger, stronger, better, and you've got to be ready to open up and play strong. Now, they struggled at the beginning of the year. Hawaii, they beat 49-10 to 10 or whatever, but Hawaii proved out to win three games the entire year. Syracuse ended up being a pretty good team, but they struggled against Syracuse. They they didn't start the way they finished. And everyone became disappointed and the controversy started and this and that and all, whatever surrounded the FC football program. And they didn't stop people and and uh didn't tackle well and the penalties were part of it and I felt they had a lot of off field distractions, starting with we don't want people to walk through our Coliseum and then it was something else and something else in the press and inflated balls and blah, 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 blah. All these things are not focusing on the game of football. And I think it was a combination of things that hurt USC this year. I mean, look, at if I was Lane Kiffin, I'm just telling you, I would take my entire staff, unless it's a recruiting weekend, and it probably will be, down to Miami, I'm going down to Miami, and I'd sit there and I'd watch Notre Dame, a team that's playing for the national championship, watch them and say, you know what? We should have beat these guys. This is where we should be. And because everyone knows that's listening, if you saw the Notre Dame football game, even the way they played, at the end, they could have won that football game. And this team's playing for the national championship. I'd watch their sign lineups. I'd watch their warm-ups. I'd watch their sideline procedures of both teams, obviously. I'd watch the position coaches that I coach. I'd make them sit there and watch in the press box somewhere where they could have every single understanding of what how two teams got to the national championships from field generalship, running a game and game management between two of the best right now that are in the in the national championship game. Even if you just flew down there, watch a game, get in a plane and fly home. I love to do that. I get to a game early and watch all the sidelines. Even during the game, I watch the sidelines to see what is the sideline doing? How much are they into the game? Do they care? Do they huddle up the entire offensive team when the team comes to the sideline so the coaches know what they're telling them so if something happens, they're ready to go back to play in the football game? When they come to the sideline, do they have a chair for the coach to sit out in front of the starters and standing behind them by every position, that just like two huddles back-to-back, the second clubber standing behind the first clubber to listen to everything that's going on? All of these type of sideline discipline things that are part of a football team and do you have distractions on your sideline certainly you have boosters on your sideline but keep them out of the area where players are not in the area where players are and that includes media the players are there to play if the players want to talk to them they can sit up in the stands because they can see the game better up there so that's the things and type of things I would be doing right now if I was a head football coach. I'd want to see what they do different than what we did because they're in the big game. Brian? All right. Coach, well, thank you very much. I know you got to run and do some more radio stuff, but yeah. thanks for 
thanks for joining us and uh, sharing your insights. And we'll miss you next week when you're on Secret Assignment. We'll talk to you after that. Thanks very much. Thanks again. Hey, Ryan, thank you. And for all of our listeners, thank you very much for your questions. And again, uh, Southern California ticket. I want you to know they got me my tickets to the national championship game. They can get you tickets to the Rose Bowl, the Rose Parade, all of those things. If you haven't been to the parade, it's something you should really do. It's like going to a Super Bowl or going to a Rose Bowl and you've never done it. You've got to do it once. And if you do it, you've got to sit up there where you can see everything and understand what's going on. And, you know, I used to take my ladder, but I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I'm going to be sitting there, too. I'm going to be watching the parade. I go to the parade. I go to the tailgates. I do it all, but it's a tradition for me to granddaddy of all of them. I used to ride my bike to the game. Oh, that's but great. But I can't make it up the hill now. Oh, yeah, it's tough. There's some hills over there in Pasadena, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, Coach. Well, buddy, thank you, and happy holidays to everyone, right? Okay, happy holidays to you, and thanks again for coming on the show. And everyone else, we've still got more Peristyle podcasts coming up. we got Dan Weber, 30 seconds away. Stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast with uscfootball.com beat writer, uh, Dan Weber. Dan, what's going on? Uh, thanks for joining the show. Oh, yeah. As we say, it's USC. There's always something going on, even in an off week where there's no practice and uh, <laughs> not till Saturday anyway. And uh, plenty going on, as we all follow the T. Martin to Knoxville story. Right, yeah. There was a picture tweeted about T. Martin and his family at the airport in uh, Knoxville going to do a little interview. We actually put up a story about T. Martin, you know, how proud he was of uh, Marquise Lee winning the, you know, the Bolitnikoff Award. And um, so now, you know, and he's out on the road recruiting too, but, you know, doing it, taking an interview, it looks like at Tennessee uh, going to Knoxville, checking out where he played and won a national championship in 1998. Uh, kind of get your thoughts on the situation, Dan. Well, I was kidding the other day. We were talking to him about Marquise. I said, you're 99% gone? Is that what they're telling me? Uh, the Tennessee fan boards, are, they've already hired you? And he, he just he gave you that look, you know, like, yeah, I got it. You know, it's it's not something that's not going to happen in terms of at least talking to people and looking at them. I mean, you'd be crazy. If you were T. Martin, uh, you'd be crazy not to check this out just because of the leverage it might give you at USC. I mean, you know, I'm somebody who would like to see Lane uh, give up the play sheet, give up the play-calling duties, and and spread them around, and and maybe there's a way to do that. I mean, maybe you could uh, have T. Martin and Kennedy Pola, who has the title, actually uh, share the duties certainly during games, you know, where, you know, T is up in the booth, um, Kennedy down on the field, holding on to the play sheet and, uh, Lane, uh, actually getting to watch the game and, uh, see what's happening on both sides of the ball, special teams, all the neat stuff that Lane would probably really enjoy watching a game like that. And, uh, might be the way you keep, uh, you know, you keep T here, you add, uh, the kind of uh, increased responsibility that, you know, should the Trojans figure out a way to, you know, have, you know, have a, a consistent offense and a dynamic offense uh, would be kind of experience that, you know, he could be the next head coach at the University of Tennessee down the road in some years. So, uh, you know, career-wise, I'm almost thinking if he stays and he gets expanded duties, which you would think USC – you know, as, as focused as Lane is on recruiting, uh, the opportunity to save an asset like T. Martin, a recruiter like T. Martin, and to expand his duties uh, and to take some of the burden off you, I would think Lane would jump at that opportunity. So I'm almost pleased that this is happening if it forces Lane and USC 
can make some of the moves they really they really need to make. And I think it'd be good for Key as well. I'm not sure he's a perfect fit. If I'm the new head coach coming in, and everybody in Tennessee is saying, "Hey, uh, Coach Jones, uh, this is the guy we were hiring for you for uh, last week. Although we were hiring him for somebody else last week, but now we're going to hire him for you." And uh, we love this guy. He was uh, uh, led us to a na- our only national championship in the BCS era. He's a wonderful recruiter, great personality, knows everything you know there is to know here in Knoxville, and we love him. And if I'm Butch Jones, I'm thinking, hmm, do I want this guy on my staff? Am I hiring my successor? Uh, I would think it would be a real, you know, I'd be hesitant if I were both sides of that. If I were T. Martin, you know, are you really the choice of, of the new coach? And if I'm Butch Jones, do I really want somebody who, you know, is being hired by the fans or they're talking about before they even mention I mean, they mentioned T. Martin's name before they mentioned Butch Jones's name. You know, they were going to hire three or four other guys. So uh, I think, you know, this has the potential to play out in a positive way for USC. But, uh, but we'll see. I mean, we all know how many jobs, you know, you know Pete interviewed for and, uh, you know, didn't prove out to be anything. So, so I think uh, I'd, be, I'd be optimistic here. Yeah, I mean, I think it is significant, though, that his family did go to Knoxville with him. I mean, that's I mean, that that shows a a level there. And, uh, you know, we'll see his wife is a singer songwriter. It depends. I mean, it's probably a lot to do with his family, too. They got a a young baby and and a son that's, uh, you know, like 10 or 12 years old or something like that. Um, I mean, so I think the family's got a lot to do with it. Well, I I think so. And I'll be honest, if I was T's agent, I would say. Take your family with you, T. It'll really look serious at that point, and it may, you know, it may well be very, very serious. But uh, for whatever reason, I don't think it's a bad move uh, to take your family. And if I'm Tennessee and I really, really, really want him, I would ask him bring your family, and, and you know that way they they can work on everybody. So, uh, so, so we'll see. Uh, I think it's you know again uh, that's what sports is all about. You got to compete, got to win, got to win. You know, every day, you know, win every play, and this is one of the plays you gotta, you gotta win on if you're USC, um, because he adds so much to this staff in every every phase of the game that uh, that you know USC might be hard pressed to find somebody else uh, comparable. I thought he, he was a, you know absolutely home run hire last year, uh, and the more you know T, the better you like him, the more you appreciate him. I mean, he did, you know. If he's looking for a career achievement, he also he already has one uh, at USC. Yeah, you know, uh, Marquise Lee gets uh, the first ever uh, USC uh, Belichick Award. So, you know, in a year when not many people can walk away from USC saying we got something done, T. Martin can say that. So he does have you know this is a a year where he's got a positive career, uh, you know, positive arc to his career even through a a difficult USC year. So, you know, I think he's in a perfect position for himself to, to do whatever, whatever he needs to do. Uh, all right. Well, let's get to some questions here, Dan. Uh, actually, before that one, one quick thing, um, just to let people know, there have been two, uh, bowl practices. We saw bowl practice on Wednesday and Friday, and the team has this week off for, uh, finals, and then they're going to start practicing again over the weekend. So uh, we haven't really talked about any of the bowl practices so far. There have only been two. Maybe get your thoughts on, on what went down those first couple practices. Well, I thought it was actually yeah, – I thought they did a nice job. I mean, it's, it's you know, three weeks out, so – and you didn't have, um, uh, you know, Marquise Lee and, uh, and for both of them uh, and, Bar- and Matt Barkley, uh, uh, so uh, and both traveling and injured for, uh, for Matt. Uh, I thought they handled the first one well when they let the seniors be the coaches, and I thought that that showed a lot of energy, saw a lot of uh, kind of insight into, uh, you know, creating kind of an upbeat atmosphere. And they went to the Coliseum because Howard Jones hadn't been recited, and it kind of, you know, kind of was a little bit of a, you know, a a jolt, a pick-me-up. And and, and they showed a lot of energy, and the energy carried over uh, uh, to – uh, Friday's practice, and now it's hard to evaluate in terms of 
they're not getting ready for Georgia Tech yet. They're not game planning. They're not doing all the things that tend to kind of slow down practice a little bit, kind of take away from the physicality and the fast-moving, you know, pace of practice. So they had two fairly, you know, fast-moving uh, practices. And, uh, you know, if you're looking at are the kids just, you know, going through the motions and finishing up near, it didn't look like it uh, from being there. They they, they looked, uh, you know, uh, upbeat. They were, you know, practicing with an up-tempo. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, uh, well, competitiveness as, as, as much as they, uh, you know, allowed them to be. Uh, they practiced fast uh, uh, without uh, without pads and pants, but they still uh, were pretty physical. They had a really nice goal line session where you really uh, heard some pops that you you haven't heard in games recently. So I uh, uh, thought it was a, a pretty good start. We'll see where it goes after this week uh, and how they start game you know game planning for Georgia Tech's triple option. And that kind of thing. That's uh, it's where it, it, they tend to get a little bit, you know, lost in the over preparation, and maybe um, not, you know, getting uh, staying with the up tempo and the and the physicality uh, that you'd like to see. All right. Well, let's get to the questions then. Uh, let's see. The first one is from JJB. He said uh, a week or so ago, Dan Weber was asked what happened to the tight ends in the offense. He said that they were all too busy blocking because the coaches had no confidence in the five offensive linemen and if they could protect Barkley or not. Uh, I've been saying this all year long. That's why the tight ends and fullbacks and running backs are no longer being thrown to and why they run trick plays on fourth and two instead of just running right at them and why it took them three minutes and 25 seconds to go two yards when they needed three against Notre Dame. Has anyone gone to the offensive line coach and said you had four returning starters and two high school all-stars vying for the fifth spot and they were mediocre at best on the offensive line, while UCLA had three freshmen and a sophomore, and they had an outstanding offensive line. How do you explain that? They're talking about making changes. Is there any chance that they may get another line coach or tell that uh, tell the line coach if it happens again, he's history? That's from JJB. He's talking about James Craig, the offensive line coach. Uh, JJB, um, it's, you know, you're not the first one to, to ask that question or, or say it. It's not the kind of question that, Coach Craig could answer. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, there aren't many questions like that. That Coach Craig doesn't always feel uh, empowered to answer uh, many of those kinds of, of questions. Uh, uh, but it's certainly a question that's being asked. It's been asked, and um, uh, not necessarily answered. Uh, I think it's kind of an open question, uh, the way you ask it, and. Uh, and we'll see. I mean, I think it's uh, it's a very legitimate question. Uh, I I think they they went backwards in terms of their athleticism on the offensive line. I I didn't they didn't look like. Um, uh, I mean, when you look at, for example, uh, Stanford and Oregon, in different ways, they're both look like they they're much more athletic. Uh, you know, Oregon uh, with the you know the ability to get outside and run down the field. Uh, Stanford with just the power at the point of attack, uh, and uh, and you didn't see that at all with USC. You didn't see them get any better. You didn't see them develop a sense of trust that they could, you know, uh, Barkley could, for example, get his second and third reads uh, and, and get through all of his reads that he had to feel like he had to, had to get rid of it immediately. He didn't look like they had a go-to play as they get to the uh, line of scrimmage and, you know, first and two, at, you know, against Notre Dame that they just like flip a coin. What the heck are we going to do? We don't know. Uh, they didn't develop that all year, and that's a failing somewhere uh, in the in the way USC looked at this, uh, you know, at the football, you know, game that they were playing. I mean, they you have to have plays that you really believe in, and that your kids Notre Dame, for example, completely believed in their goal line defense. They completely believed talking to their kids after the game. You could tell they believed. USC was not going to get into the end zone. They believed it because that's how they'd played all year long. You look at the USC side of the equation, they did not necessarily have a belief that they were getting into the goal, into the end zone. They had a hope they were. Maybe they'll come up with the right play. Maybe the right play is there. But just the sheer idea of we know we can block this. We know we can execute this. We know we can get this done because that's what we do. That's who we are. 
They didn't have that. That's not all the uh, offensive line, but uh, but I, they just need to be more athletic. They need to move better. They need better stances. They need uh, uh, they need to be stronger. Uh, you know, they need a lot of things. Um, and you can you can go to where you think you know is the solution for that, but it has to be solved. Uh, it, it's got to be one of the absolute I'm you know writing about uh, uh, my column for today is what if you know what if different things happen what if changes are made and one of the what ifs is what if if they figure out a way to get Zach Manor to get him uh, hips down low to the ground able to use all his, his terrific athleticism in a football sense what if they figure out what if they do that over this winter what if they do all these kinds of things that they need to do uh, with offensive linemen that kind of look like they're lumbering around out there. You don't see any of those quick-footed kids like you did when Matt Khalil was here. Uh, you see guys who just look like they're spending a lot of time with their feet on the ground instead of picking them up and moving down, you know, and getting the job done and attacking people. And uh, uh, it's just, I mean, it all revolves around, you know, I think the offensive line is, is, is absolutely maybe the most critical thing they have to get done this year. Uh, I think other things you can assume will come along. But I think the offensive line, you have to make that work. You have to really take charge of, of you know, constructing an offensive line that really, really works. It can't just be carryover from last year to this year just because there are four guys there. Okay, uh, let's move on. We had uh, Melvin had a question for Coach Hyde in the first segment, but he had a few more, and I wanted to follow up on that. His first one was about uh, if USC underachieved or if they really had the talent to be a number one team. But building on that, he wanted to know, um, in looking back, do you think that it was wise for Matt Barkley to come back and stay for his senior year? I know a lot of people talk about that and maybe kind of get your thoughts on it. Well, uh I don't know how good you had to be to be a number one team. <laughs> For example, who is the number one team? Notre Dame. That's a team USC, basically same USC players, same Notre Dame players. USC handled them in uh, in South Bend last year. And uh, by the end of the game, Notre Dame didn't want to be on the field. And USC just running, you know, Moody McNeil, play after play after play. And, uh, and the game wasn't probably, as it turned out, as close as it looked. So, uh you know, how good did you have to be to be Notre Dame this year? Uh, did USC have probably enough talent to do that? Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean, you know, they were obviously the best team. I mean, they had a chance. They they had the best chance. They started out first. Uh, if you, I, I was thinking, uh, if you gave me 10 plays, uh, we're 11 and 1. If I, if I say, you know, we look at USC, give me 10 plays and say I'm the coach. And I got a chance to change ten plays. I say we're eleven and one, and we still in the one game we score fifty-one points. How do you lose a game at home when you score fifty-one points? So was USC good enough? Yeah, they really were. Did they have problems? Yeah, offensive line had had some real issues. Obviously, the whole you know way the defense was constructed and coached, and the, the whole you know theory behind the way they play the linebackers in the secondary are, you know, head slappingly, uh, you know, inconsistent with the way college football is being played today. So, yeah. But if you gave those players to somebody else uh, this year, would you have had a better chance? Maybe, maybe. What, what, what this team and these coaches and this staff were trying to do totally didn't work. And I think the way you know how badly it didn't work is, when they know, knew things weren't going well, they weren't able to correct them even a little bit. Nothing, nothing really worked. Um, uh, there were no course corrections as the season went on, as they, you know, started spiraling, you know, to defeat after defeat. Uh, there were no answers. Nothing, nothing that, that, that they came up with. Well, what if you'd had answers? What if there were answers out there? I think there, there probably were some answers. Um, uh, you'd have to really work at the offensive line situation. That was not easily answerable. And that would have had to start happening probably uh, as you got midway through spring, you would have had to say, okay, here's our situation. 
what are we going to do about it? I'm not sure they ever made that kind of a, an adjustment, a recognition, or a course correction, and uh, it just did not improve even a little bit. I mean, this is a USC team that, if you look at the roster, how many guys right now are better than they were a year ago? Um, you know, Marquise Lee got, got an opportunity. Uh, the two freshmen who played so well came in really good. Uh, so I don't know that, you know, Nelson Aguilar and Leonard Williams are better. They're good, and they were, they were darn good when we saw them the first time we ever saw them. Um, uh, who, else was, who else would you say is just absolutely better? Morgan Breslin had the same motor, and you looked at every film, he was what he was. And he got a chance to do it the first half of the year, and people started taking advantage of some of it the second half. But who, was, uh, who has improved himself over the last year's you know, time? Probably not a big list. So I think you, know, you, you look at that and you say, yeah, they had a chance. And they weren't necessarily uh, you know, overrated all that much. But, uh, but you look back and say, this is how they tried to take those players and play this season. And you could say, well, you know, maybe they didn't have what it, what it took. Uh, if, if the fact that they were playing with 75 scholarships was going to change the way you approach the game, change the way you practice, change the w- way you thought about the physicality needed to win football games, well, then you maybe could say, maybe Lane was telling us the truth when he said, I'd never vote for us number one uh, because we've only got, we've got 10 fewer scholarship players than everybody else. Maybe Lane was tipping us off at that time that uh, he didn't think they could. And that's certainly how they kind of coached him. So there's my answer. I'm not going to get into the Barkley thing. I mean, that's, that's so much Barkley's call. And when you talk to him, he says, um, uh, you know, he's glad he came back for his senior year and you only get to be a senior once and all that. I'm sure he's got all kinds of regrets of how this year has gone. And, you know, financially it certainly probably won't, won't be such a good thing, although who knows if he goes later in the first round, he goes to a better team. And maybe his second contract is able to be, you know, to make up for the first one. So we'll see. Uh, but I'm going to stay away from the, from the Barkley thing. That's, that's Matt's decision. Okay. Uh, we had one last question. This is from Jerry. He says, uh, Dan, with what's come to light with the Todd McNair case, is there any chance that the NCAA's position on USC scholarships restrictions change, or will this be, will it, or, or will this open the door for a lawsuit by the university against the the NCAA? I doubt. You know, I know they're investigating it deep, deep, deep background, you know, the, uh, the university, or at least they're in position to do so. However, uh, as currently constituted, this administration and this um, athletic department, it's really hard. I mean, those emails, those emails would have to say things that we even can't imagine between, you know, Paul D. and Josephine Petito and Missy Convoy and all these guys we didn't even know about whose emails were cited in the uh, – L.A. Superior Court judge's decision, uh, you know, saying that the NCAA showed malice and ill will and hatred. I'm not, and you haven't done anything, even after a court has said that the NCAA displayed malice and ill will and hatred. And all you can say is, well, he was just a, a member of our staff. It wasn't like he was actually USC. He was just, oh, an assistant coach at USC. And he was the connection between USC's lack of institutional control. I mean, I, I don't think the NCAA is really attaching lack of institutional control to the fact that a uh, Romanian tennis player made, made uh, long-distance phone calls unsupervised home. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that, that, that was probably not, uh, not the, uh, what the NCAA was thinking about. So uh, if I were the NCAA... And if I were Mark Emmert, people who came in after this all had gone down, I would say uh, I'm start, I would start thinking, who do I throw under the bus and give them the scholarships back? I mean, what does it cost them? You know, they've already damaged USC's athletic program to multiple millions of dollars and multiple – can't even guess how many millions of dollars damaged just USC's reputation alone, uh, which is now totally unwarranted. Do they need – to extract any more 
I mean, give him the scholarships back. What the hell does that cost him? It costs him nothing. Emmert could look like a hero. Do the right thing. I mean, I wish USC would start a campaign with the President's Council for Division One, the same like 30-some guys that gave the NCAA power to do whatever they wanted to do in the Penn State case, and go to those guys and say, do the right thing by USC. This is what we know as soon as those emails come out and that information comes out. we got to assume that there's a good chance it's going to. Uh, and go to the NCAA and say, do the right thing. Of course, there's no appeals process. Nobody at the NCAA ever uh, assumed that there'd be a case where, uh, you know, the committee and the people on the committee and your staff would act this way, would frame somebody, would lie about it. Uh, now that we know they have, uh, you know, it's not totally comparable to the Penn State case, but it, in a way, it's unprecedented. And in a way, it calls for the NCAA to act in an unprecedented way uh, vis-a-vis USC. And I would think the easiest thing to do is to say all penalties, you know, whatever you did wrong, you've way more than served enough penalties, and we're giving you everything back starting right now. I mean, one would think USC would have already broached that subject with the NCAA. uh, And Pat, you know, having built up all his good relationships with the NCAA people from all his trips to Indianapolis, would know exactly, you know, what buttons to push and what people to ask to do that. So that would be my, that would be my take on it. A lawsuit, probably not. I think there are so many ways that the NCA can defend a lawsuit uh, from a voluntary organization. It's a voluntary organization. USC is a member. One of the easy defenses is, well, you don't have to be a member. You can, you don't have to belong. Well, obviously you do have to belong, but that's how they defend it. And the uh, the amount of time and ill will and all that kind of thing, uh, I think USC has to present it to the NCAA as we're going to give you a chance to do it right and to make yourself whole again to some extent. And there may be some things that are going to have to happen to some of the people who now we know uh, did what they did. Uh, and that's going to have to come out uh, eventually. But uh, that would be my approach, uh, whether that will be USC's approach or not. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't see USC really actually believing and saying we're just going to move on and those 30 kids that will never get you know, USC scholarships, they're going to have to move on too. Life's tough. You would think you would fight for, you know, you'd fight for Abe Markowitz, for example. So you know, his only way back for probably next year is if they get the scholarships back. Well, wouldn't that be worth it, fighting for Abe Markowitz? I would, I'd fight for Abe, so uh, that would be my take on it, but we'll see. I don't know. I wouldn't want to predict what USC is going to do. <laughs> we've, we've been burned from that before. <laughs> or even predict that they're going to do anything. That's the problem. We don't know. I mean, we really don't know. I think they're, they're in a position now. I know everybody used to say, well, what if they get – NCA gets discovery, and they could come and find all those things that are buried in USC's backyard and all that. They're all, this case is now in a different place, and this isn't about USC anymore. This is the, the beauty of this case, I would think, to USC people is it isn't remotely about USC. It's all about the NCA at this point. Uh, that's the point. This is not USC and the NCA. This is about the NCAA, and all USC has to do is make it about the NCAA. And I don't see how, just for the good of the NCAA, I would think USC has to fight on here and make, you know, make this come out so that it doesn't happen to somebody else. I mean, you can't just sit there and take it for everybody else in the NCAA. And I would think everybody in the NCAA would kind of appreciate, you know, USC in some ways because if it happened to USC, okay, it couldn't happen to an SEC school, but, you know. <laughs> And it probably couldn't happen to a Big Ten school, but, you know. But it could happen to somebody, and, you know, if somebody becomes as hatred and as, as hated and as successful as USC was, uh, watch out. So I know there are other schools out there that are hoping someday that they could be, you know, successful and uh, not earn the wrath of the NCAA. All right, Dan. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, we, we got a week off from, from team coverage. The team will be taking uh, finals, but we'll be back on the practice field this weekend. We'll uh, 
talk to you on Monday and, and see what goes down in the first couple of practices where they're actually preparing for uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, well, that's everything is interesting around here. <laughs> It certainly will. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll have a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast coming up this week as well, and then back with our regular show again on Monday. So stay tuned for all that, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. (laughs) 